This is The Rhythm of Faith with Eddie Paul. Sophomore year. Man, I remember it like it was yesterday. We had just won the Big Ten Championship the year before, so this was kind of a big deal for me the following year. Random people knowing who I was before I even said a word, walking across campus, walking into classrooms, and, well, kind of made me feel like a, you know, big shot. That was until I got to Professor Morrison's class. Professor Morrison was legendary for making you feel incredibly important, but also incredibly small at the same time. So I walk into his classroom, and he's busy working at the chalkboard. Now, I know I just kind of gave away my age here, but stick with me. The, the, the chalkboard thing, get past it. So I walk into his class, and he's busy working on some sort of illustration. After a few minutes, he turns around, looks at the class, and says, We've got a car accident here, folks. And we're looking, and he starts to draw. One stick figure on the north side, one on the south, one on east and west. So you've got a car crash in this intersection. You've got four people on all four sides. And then he says to the class, after the accident, a police officer arrives and asks each person what they saw. Each person reported the accident slightly different than the next. They each had an honest account but saw it from different angles. So then, Professor Morrison asked the class, which one of the witnesses are correct? I remember the class going round and round about different aspects of the crash. Was one person taller than the other? Was the sun facing the east or west? The questions and speculation went on for 10 minutes. I can remember seeing Professor Morrison sitting over in the corner with a little smile on his face, arms crossed in satisfaction. Eventually, he stopped the conversation and said, Welcome to sociology. You have many people who live their lives in this country who will always see things very differently than others. It doesn't make their viewpoint invalid or less true. We, like the officer, have a responsibility to seek out as much information as possible in order to come up with the best possible answer, choice, decision, or conclusion. This is the essence of the rhythm of faith. I'm your host, Eddie Paul, and I invite you to join us on this journey as we explore the lives of people around the world seeking to figure out if faith applies to the rhythm of their life. Test, test, one, <laughs> test, two. Sibilance, sibilance. <laughs> what movie is that from? I don't, I don't know, Wayne's World or something? Oh, or... gosh. Mike Myers made an appearance here today. That's John Obayashi, originally from San Diego, California, now living in San Luis Obispo, California. Allegedly, the happiest place on earth. Perfect weather. <laughs> we were just talking on the drive over. It was nice. It was pleasant. Um, to kind of speak to the heart and maybe get to the core of 
a more intimate type of conversation. It was good. We're definitely provided for. My mom and my dad are still together. I have one younger sister. And we definitely had all our needs met. Middle class income family. We grew up in a neighborhood of San Diego. Um, it's called Talmadge. Small little town. And there's some nice parts of the neighborhood, but when I was a kid, it was a little bit rougher. There were um, a lot of break-ins. Um, there's an area of town that there's kind of a borderline, mm -hmm. and just south of just south of it, it's a little rough. So I grew up with an element of just kind of some fear. We had a couple break-ins while we were there. Mm. That was kind of scary, and I lost three Nintendos. Oh. So the gift is I had three Nintendos. <laughs> the sad part is I lost two of them. Mm. Um, yeah, thanks, Dad, for getting multiple Nintendos for me. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was sketchy. So th there was an element of, I'm not sure whether it was personality, upbringing, nature versus nurture. I don't really know. Maybe it's brain chemistry. But a sense of unease from the get-go. Mm. That's kind of, I think, how I could describe my childhood in San Diego. But, you know, gorgeous all about, good friends. Good fam. There's just a lot of things that were in an undercurrent. All the love that that my parents could express and provide for us, I think there was an undercurrent of some kind of lack or not being good enough for my parents. And I can compassionately understand that and see that now. Mm -hmm. um, forgive and understand and recognize how much they loved me and my sister mm. amidst all the, the chaos. John recalled experiencing a very supportive upbringing with his parents and his sister. But he did notice a lot of tension, uh, sometimes even some insecurities with his parents. And through conversations and sit-downs with relatives, he learned that some of that, if not all of it, came from the circumstance. The circumstance of being Japanese in America during World War II. During World War II, the United States thought it would be a good idea to place Japanese Americans in internment camps. This is where they were forced to relocate and be incarcerated in camps. We're talking about more than a hundred thousand people of Japanese ancestry forced to move from their homes. And that can have an impact on a community. Well, let's see. I, it's, it's interesting how you mentioned it's so easy to forget because <laughs> I, I kind of turn a blind eye to many things. I don't want to know. I don't like, like feeling uncomfortable. And this isn't a conscientious act generally. I can kind of look at what's good right now and try to roll with that. The few times I've asked my parents about it or what my grandparents, how it was for them or the times that I pointedly asked my grandparents, I think there's, they were children, my grandparents were children in it. And so the times I've asked, I think there's a sensitivity to it. Um, and almost, we don't talk about that. Mm. That's how it's felt to me. Well, it's interesting to have an understanding of the term faith now for me mm. at this stage of life versus what I'm interpreting it to be, maybe something of a religious upbringing or a 
the faith-based religious experience. Mm -hmm. So my mom's parents are Catholic, were Catholic. I was baptized Catholic and we went to the Catholic church right by my parents' house. I was baptized. I don't recall that, but there's photos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My mom tried to enroll me in Catholic school. It was the Catholic church right by my parents' house again. And um, I think I lasted maybe five hours, three hours, and then I was out. <laughs> I just cried the whole time, apparently. I remember being in there briefly. It was this smoky... I don't know if there was smoke there, but it, I could see dust or mist in the air. And it was this dark room. And we had this workbook that we we're supposed to fill out. And that's all I recall. I remember just crying and not wanting to be there and missing my mom and being like, what is this? <laughs> that's it. And then <laughs> I think they were just like, yeah, that's not going to work. And in what grade was this? Kindergarten or preschool, oh, whatever gotcha. it is before actual grade school gotcha. age. So gotcha. didn't work. Hmm. And so, were your, you and your family pretty regularly um, attending church, or was it just kind of whenever? Not at all. Not at all? Yeah, I think they were just trying to do the right thing or what they knew. Mm-hmm. My dad grew up in a Christian church. I think it was a universal Christian church. I don't know if it was a specific denomination. I still don't understand all the terminology, so that right there might help share. <laughs> my faith-based upbringing but we didn't attend I think my mom was going through her own wrestlings with Catholicism so she stopped attending I remember going to mass a few times as a young child and just playing with her beeper her pager so that <laughs> that's for context all you young listeners <laughs> Anyway, that didn't date you at all. Yeah, at all. I was eating Tic Tacs and playing with her pager, and that's all I recall. And that was just a few times. So, so she was searching, and then we, I remember that we started going to a Hindu-based meditative practice. It's called Balvikas. There were traditionally clothed Indian women and children. I don't remember too many Indian men. There, they were, there were, they were there. I don't recall as many though because of the saris and the, and the, I forgot what it's called, it sounds so insensitive, but the, the makeup, the, the red the red makeup dot on the forehead. <laughs> I was just so shocked, I was like, what is this? You know, and my mom said, well, we're just gonna try this out for a little bit. And there were other kids, there were other American kids that attended and we'd play games after too, but there was moments where we'd sit in the lotus position as best as possible and meditate, just chant ohms. I still recall it. I still actually, I don't do that anymore, but I can recall some of the way that that felt. And there was confusion as to what this is even meaning. But I've actually drawn from that many times throughout life post that. Post college wrestling with my 20s. What does life look like? What am I supposed to do? The whole purpose question. What am I, what am I supposed to do? And in a lot of those anxious moments, a lot of my moments of trying to find post-college identity, I'm no longer a college student, what am I, who am I, um, I would ride the bus and I would meditate. And I would meditate in the style that I was taught when I was 12 and 13, when I really did not like going to this practice, this 
meditative practice. Mm -hmm. I actually would do it. Hmm. And I received actually quite a bit of serenity and peace from it. I don't know what I was doing. I was just trying to do something. Okay. <laughs> and it would work. I would feel a okay. difference. I would feel a significant difference in my mind. My thoughts would calm my body physiologically. I think I would just take deep breaths and mm -hmm. meditation or a meditative practice or not. I think just doing that, like even right now during the interview. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Feels pretty good. So I think there's some aspects to just breathing that was helpful to me. Yeah. <laughs> In John's early childhood, transitioning from Catholicism to Hinduism to nothing at all eventually, had a common thread. He never felt a part of a group. He never felt welcome. So I think some of the frustrations around faith-based practice or religion was that I, I kind of never felt accepted. I never felt a part of an organization. Even my best friends, I would always kind of feel a little bit still misunderstood or not able to connect. And that trans that extended into Christianity, so to speak. When I was in college, there were I was a bad I was a bad kid. I did a lot of partying. <laughs> and I almost got kicked out of school. But because I think I was the best of the worst, they let me stay and I, I bawled my eyes out. I, I, I had no idea what was going on, but things weren't working basically. And my friends were getting kicked out. Some, some went to jail for drug possession and something which I wasn't a major part of, but it was, okay, things aren't working right now. So I got moved into, I don't know if it was a Christian dorm, but a lot of the people were. And so I was like, okay, I think this is a sign that I need to try to act differently. <laughs> I'm not the brightest student. I'm not the brightest student. But yeah, so I was there and, you know, they'd go to Campus Crusade or, or something like that. And I just never invited and I, I wasn't ready. I wouldn't have even gone. I don't understand what that would even mean. And I just felt frustrated with that. I was like, well, I feel judged, but I don't even understand what for what is going on so there was a little bit of not understanding faith or or christianity or any religion really mm -hmm. but seeking still wanting to be included and when i first started college it was easy for me to latch on to what i knew which was how to party how to tap a keg and pour out beers and, and try to be party guy john i knew that that was high school for me And within that, we would go to parties and I would do that. And then there would be the friends that I would go with would be doing drugs that I wasn't comfortable doing and still not feeling a part of that. Mm -hmm. That stopped working. And then so I would go to this new dorm or go to, I would try to volunteer. I would volunteer and I'd be part of that. But I felt like, well, I party a lot. You seem like such good clean cut kids. You're studying, you're doing well. Like I don't feel a part of that. So there was a lot of just an overall existence that just permeated every bit of my being, really. My thoughts about who I am and who I was. That was a huge chunk of my life, and I still have elements of that, but not so much now. For me, faith is more on a level of understanding within my body that I can't wrap my head around logically. 
I used to pride myself in being a thinker, an intelligent being who could solve a problem with my logic, with my thoughts, with my skills, my intelligence, all the things I wrapped my pride around out of so much insecurity. Faith for me today feels something beyond that. I think religion is, I'm so naive in these areas I feel, but religion is a practice, it's a set of dogma or rules, practice, ritual that people live by to live out their faith, retain their faith. I'm still not really sure. But I don't think they're the same. I think they can be overlapped and they can be a part of each other. John's roller coaster faith journey finally gained some stability in one of the toughest times an individual can experience with his family and from one of the most unlikely sources in his life. My father got diagnosed with a very rare form of cold. I forget this specific term. It's not exactly colon cancer, but it's a type of tumor that envelops the colon and parts of his bladder. That occurred when I was in my late teens. And he was supposed to die. He was given maybe a year. I recall that scenario very clearly when he brought my sister, my mother, and myself up to Mount Helix in San Diego. We drove up to the top of there early in the evening, just as the sun was setting. And he told us that he loved us, that I don't even remember what he said, but he was just, I think, trying to in the best way that he could to convey his love for us because things weren't looking very <laughs> very good for him and the feeling was spiritual the sun was setting this golden sunlight poured into my heart and washed over all of us it was warm it was good so we started attending the christian church with my dad right around that time, he needed something and he had a spiritual experience that he's conveyed to us later about God entering into his heart and letting him know it's gonna be okay. It's not his time. He's still alive, he's still alive. The cancer is completely gone. In college, after this, I met Crystal, my now wife, There was something about her. She had a light and a spark. I mean, she's beautiful. This is on tape. <laughs> I'll make sure to rewind <laughs> that one again for you. <laughs> and she was super feisty, so it was fun to try to try to flirt with her the best I knew how. Uh, I don't do cocky very well, but I tried my best. <laughs> she has such a good heart and she has such a strong light that she, she invited me to church. At that and I went I was very nervous but I liked her so much I was like well I, I want to be, be around you I feel drawn to you I want yes I'll go very uncomfortable experience so we went to a Baptist I believe it was a Baptist church Christian church a couple times in a couple different churches 
so that had an impact on me as well but it didn't stick but it left a, a strong impact but again as i wasn't a great student she graduated on time and i was in no place ready to marry or settle down i still had a couple years to go of school i like to joke that i got my doctorate in undergraduate studies <laughs> if that's hey is this thing on don't forget to tip your waitress <laughs> so so we broke up. I broke up with her and it was tough, very tough on her. I pushed it down. And so I spent a long time of my remaining college years and my early 20s, mid 20s, trying to make it as a professional artist, trying to shape surfboards, do all these fun things that I thought would create my identity and help create a happy lifestyle for myself. I was meditating on the bus. I was surfing obsessively two times a day. And that was kind of a, a way to just feel nature, to feel connected to something that was natural. I feel there's life and spirit in things. After a long time of just trying to figure out life, I. I was, I was dating and that didn't feel like it was working. I couldn't meet anyone who I felt connected to, who I felt this is, this is the person I'd like to be with, that I want to spend my life with. I was doing a lot of drinking. It wasn't helping. I was trying to meet people anywhere, which is sometimes bars that didn't really pan out very well. So I decided to take a break from all that. Um, <laughs> I was trying something, I was trying something else. So there was a period of time where I decided to just focus on being healthy, spending time with quality friends and not worrying about any relationships, not worrying about anything like that. And I was just in the best way that I knew how, praying and meditating. God, who would you show me to be with? Who would you have me be with? Please show me. Meditate for 20 minutes in the morning, pray after that, pray all through the day. Cap off the evening with another 20 minute meditation of just letting go generally doing something like clear mind God I don't know clear mind God please show me just over and over mantra style I think about five and a half months into that I was sitting on this couch in my apartment in San Francisco and the clearest voice just was in my right ear saying crystal I felt the word crystal in my being I felt it all throughout my body I was inspired and excited and it felt like clear a clear course of action of the next step to do which is to reach out to Crystal. I assumed she would have kids at this point, it had been almost 10 years since we had connected or since we had broken up. So I thought she would have a family but I just, I needed to reach out at that point. It was clear, it was, it was crystal clear. That, that, that wasn't planned, that's just, that's literally how it was. <laughs> but I reached out. I reached out. I didn't have her phone number. I didn't have her email. I didn't have Facebook. I didn't have her Facebook. But we did connect through LinkedIn randomly many years before that. I forget why, but we connected. So I, I found that I still had her connected there on LinkedIn. And I messaged her. I was like, hi, I just thought about you something something witty and funny much more than what I'm saying now and trying to just say hi how have you been I 
thought of you. I think God works really in borderline humorous, very humorous ways many times. And this was just, a, I think, a God-given thing where after so much concentrated prayer and meditation and patience and seeking and surrendering, her reply was, hey, wow, how's it going, stranger? I'm actually going to be up in the Bay Area this Tuesday. Would you like to get dinner? So now we're married and have a daughter. And she brought, she brought me to church again, and I was ready. I was ready. I was, seeking, I was seeking a relationship with God, and she gracefully, wonderfully, thankfully brought me back to church, not dragging, just gently, wonderfully, beautifully. She just said, hey, would you like to go to church? And I said, yes. You know, talking about always feeling not a part of or unwelcomed, we walk in, and... I met the man who brought me to Christ, who, who I prayed with. Um, he, his name's Gordon Jensen. I love him. He's he's an elder at Bethel Christian Church in San Francisco, and he he made me feel welcome right away. I want to be like him. His son-in-law did magic tricks for us <laughs> and gave us a big hug. I was I was home. It was great. Terrible jokes. I'm in. I think the very first sermon was by Pastor Bill. And he he is very personal, very vulnerable, and shared how something to the effect of how his entire life he's always felt not a part of or that he has obsessive compulsive behaviors and does certain things and, and was so real and told, told such bad jokes that that I felt I, I arrived. That was it. But I wasn't ready to get baptized. I was still way too t timid for that. I thought about it many times. We we're there for three years, and I just couldn't pull the trigger on that one. I I felt it was too much. I wasn't ready, so I shied away. Plus, we were going to move. We were planning on trying San Francisco for a year because Chris doesn't have a heart for the city. And I at, honestly, at that point, I was ready to go. I did a lot of partying there. I did a lot of trying to figure out my art identity there. And I was on trying to find a just much more humble path. Just what can I do and how can I how can I be of service? What what was that moment now that you found your church, now that you had your wife? You know, you moved out of San, out of San Francisco. What what was the turning point? What was that aha light bulb moment? I want to say what made Jesus, I was going to say Christianity, attractive to me, but it's not even attractive to me. It was, a, it was, it was visceral. I could feel, I, I felt this is right. I felt this is it. Special thanks to John Obayashi for sharing his story with us. John owns the design company Peanut Interactive in San Luis Obispo, California, and he and his beautiful wife Crystal are expecting a second little one soon. We're keeping you guys in our prayers. Special thanks also to artist Blue Dot Sessions, Captive Portal, Cold Noise, Lee Rosevere, Little Green Men, Mind's Eye, PC3, and Ishwa. 
for providing our soundtrack today. Check out the website at upperroomproject.com. Remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And remember, if you have a story to tell us, you can share it with us at rhythmfaithlove at gmail.com. Until next time, one love.